Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of the Sly Hooper podcast. It's going to be a much more cheery and optimistic episode today, considering the news that's been going on for the past few days, one of which involves my team, the Philadelphia 76ers, of course. So we will be talking about that for a bit. And then we'll get into other stuff like the possible start of the NBA season in December, maybe. Maybe the players don't like it. And then we'll also talk about some of the tertiary stuff like Stan Van Gundy getting hired by the New Orleans Pelicans. Is still on Twitter and still dunking on people. So I hope that trend still continues into the season. Maybe not as much. We don't want Stan to get addicted to tweeting while he is the head coach of an NBA team and a promising young core, of course. But Stan Van Gundy on Twitter was one of the best highlights of this whole quarantine. So we will get into that as well. But let's start with the big news that came out yesterday, recording this on a Thursday morning. You know, get a little bit more perspective in 24 hours removed from the news. So I work overnights and usually go to bed around 3.30, 4. My body clock is weird, so it takes me a bit to go to sleep. But then the weird thing is I wake up 5 or 6 hours later. It's really a vicious cycle. But woke up at around 10 a.m. yesterday. Got a tweet from one of my old colleagues at hashtag basketball.com. Shout out to Nick Agar Johnson. And... He quote tweeted an Adrian Wojnarowski tweet that the Sixers were in advanced talks to finalize a deal with former Houston Rockets president of basketball operations, Daryl Morey. And then Sham Sarania basically added that the Sixers are expected to complete a five-year deal with Morey this weekend. Needless to say, I'm ecstatic about this move. This was the one person... And as much as I've talked about how bad Sixers ownership has screwed up since they let Hinky resign, since they brought in Jerry Colangelo, which ultimately forced Hinky out, we don't have to go through that whole saga again. As much as I've talked about how terrible this ownership group is, and I still think it's terrible, Daryl Morey was the one guy that would give this team a shot to get out of this financial chokehold to maybe try and replenish some draft assets that were just sent to fire by the Colangelos and his cronies that stayed after the Burner Gate scandal. This is just a great hire. And look, the Sixers ownership, like they do, they do everything ass backwards. They hired a head coach first. They allowed the head coach, Doc Rivers, to put together His coaching staff, which are all good hires, by the way. It's just a little weird how they went about this process of putting together this uh, front office and this coaching staff. And then you hire Peter Dinwiddie from the Pacers to be the vice president of basketball operations. And then you hire, I don't want to butcher his name, but Prosper Carnegie. I hope I didn't butcher that to be the director of scouting and all from from what you know I've read and from what Sixers reporters are saying and from what you know Indiana Pacers fans are saying on Reddit and Twitter 
and things like that. These are good hires, especially Peter Dinwiddie. He is, seems like everybody has touted him as the next up-and-coming executive that's kind of like a genius. But then you hire Daryl Morey to oversee it all, who is also usurping Elton Brand, who took over as general manager after the Colangelos left. Because, again, if you listen to my podcast last week with Evan, you'll know why Elton Brand was basically hired for to become the general manager of the Sixers. He was basically the only guy who would accept insane circumstances set by ownership before taking the job. But now, now none of that matters because Daryl Morey is overseeing everything and obviously as I said earlier slam dunk hire Daryl Morey has been one of arguably the best front office executive in the NBA from an op- basketball operations standpoint he has won during his time in Houston when he started in 2006 he had Tracy McGrady and Yao Ming and started putting that team together, but then injuries derailed that team. And man, that is also a good what if of the last 25 years or so is how good that late 2000s or how talented on paper the two the late 2000s Rockets were. Um, especially when you think about it, I think it was 09 when the Rockets without Tracy McGrady. And at that point, I think the knee injuries really just took a toll on him. The Rockets, led by Ron Artest and Yao Ming, took the Lakers to seven games without T-Mac. And then Maury, of course, pivots because injuries ultimately screw up the whole duo of Yao Ming and Tracy McGrady. And he pivots instead of tanking because ownership did not want to tank. And remember, the Rockets were owned by Leslie Alexander at the time and not broke boy Tillman Fertitta. Maury was able to pivot out of one era and go to another by seeking out the market inefficiencies. And I wouldn't even say James Harden was a market inefficiency. Everybody knew how good James Harden was in his role as the sixth man, but there was always that that wonder like, okay, um, is there more with this guy? Maury saw it. He went for it. We all know how that trade went down between the Rockets and, o- and OKC after the 2012 Finals. The rest is history. We all know the era the Rockets have been in during these during the 2010 decade. So during that time, Maury has traded, found players that are diamonds in the rough. He had done everything to build a contender to put around his star players. He makes smart trades. He makes moves along the margins. And when you're looking at a team like the Sixers, who have two star players but are tied up in contracts to Al Horford and Tobias Harris, who don't necessarily fit their two best players. Maury is the perfect person. This team needs to work on the margins. You know, make a little roster move here, a little roster move there, uh, a mid-level exception here, a minimum there. Maybe you find somebody on a 10-day contract like Daniel House last season, and then he ends up becoming a rotation player. Maury is the perfect guy for this job. And not only that, Maury 
I mean, I talked about the trades earlier. He made 77 trades, and I'm looking at the 538 article I have right in front of me. Maury made 77 trades during his 13 years with the Houston Rockets, and the only other person or the only other team that made more transactions than the Rockets were the Philadelphia 76ers, who were led by Maury's former protege, Sam Hinkie. Which is all, the kind of the irony in all of this is that they're kind of going back to the well. This is the first time Sixers ownership has gone outside, or this is the first time since Sam Hinkie that Sixers ownership has gone outside of the box for a hire to run the basketball operations. And ironically, they're going back to Sam Hinkie's old boss. And now anything's on the table, a possible trade. Um, Al Horford may be easier to move because Daryl Morey could come up with creative trades. And that's Morey's MO. He is always looking for the next little advantage. And he gets super creative with trades. And creativity is something that the Sixers have lacked in the front office for three years since Sam Hinkie left. Or for four years, excuse me, since Sam Hinkie left because it was April of 2016. And it's the guy who taught Sam. It's the guy who has the source of everything behind. He was behind the analytics movement, utilizing every advantage. And the best part is, it seems like him and Doc, him and Doc Rivers have a good relationship. And a lot of people are saying, "Well, what does this mean for Simmons and Embiid? Is one of them going to get traded? Is uh, Joel Embiid going to get traded to the Rockets for James Harden because Maury loves uh, Harden so much?" I think people are misunderstanding who Maury really is as a GM because yes, he was behind the analytics movement. He founded the MIT Sloan conference that is held every year for basketball nerds and numbers crunchers. But if you listen to Maury in interviews, media availability, whatever, his very clear ethos is getting star players and the Sixers have two of them. Say what you will about Joel Embiid's last year. He was still putting up 23-11, and 11, although it was a down year. And yes, he was loafing around on defense half the time, even though he still put up really good defensive numbers, just not Joel Embiid's standards. Then you have Ben Simmons, who became a top-five defender. I think you, I would argue top three. Stan Van Gundy, the new coach of the New Orleans Pelicans, was always on TNT broadcast basically campaigning that Simmons should be the defensive player of the year, a guy who could switch everything, a guy who can, he won't shoot threes, obviously. I mean, I'm not breaking news when I say that, but Ben Simmons does generate the most open threes in the NBA, which is something Maury likes. Maury also likes star players, and I'm sure Hinky was giving Maury some intel. They were probably having some private conversations about Joel Embiid, so I'm sure Maury kind of has a handle not uh, kind of has a handle, but Maury can at least have a little more of an idea of what he's going into now that he is the president of basketball operations for a team that has Joel Embiid. Honestly, I don't see, one, it would be stupid for the Sixers to trade one of those two players. You got to keep both. There is a clear, 
I have said it before and I've said it a million times, Simmons and Embiid are not the perfect fit offensively, but when you put the right players around them, they can work together. And they have worked together. There are clear examples of this. In the first year of the Simmons and Embiid duo, the 2017-2018 season, they win more games than everybody expects. They end the game on a six they end the season on a 16-game winning streak. Everybody's like, well, this team might have been a fun eighth seed, but now they might be a finals contender. And then they lose in the second round to Boston. 2018-2019 season, again, you put a ball handler, you put another ball handler and shooters around Simmons and Embiid, you get really efficient lineups. You get historic offensive efficiency and great defensive efficiency because you have Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and you know Jimmy Butler played defense when he wanted to I honestly think he kind of came and went in Philly with the defense during the season but in the playoffs he kind of solidified himself as like all right we need to keep this dude but you surround those type of players with Simmons and Embiid that can work when you surround them with Al Horford Tobias Harris, who's not really a ball handler and a slow decision maker, not a good passer. Josh Richardson, who is also the same thing, quite frankly, and he was missed, woefully miscast as a secondary ball handler next to Simmons. I think that experiment is going to be over. I think Maury and Doc are going to bring in some guards. Hopefully, I've been the fan base has been begging for years to surround Simmons and Embiid with shooting and ball handling. And I have no doubt Maury knows this and he's going to do everything he can to surround Simmons and Embiid with the proper players. And also, yes, Maury does like a lot of threes. I think his analytics, it's basically, it's not really, when people say analytics in a broad term, and I used to be someone when analytics was first rising, I didn't like it, but now I, understand it more and you need numbers along with eye test and everything you need to have a balanced perspective and so I say this because people talk about Maury and his analytics Maury's philosophy is threes layups and free throws which is a good offense to have especially in today's NBA it's not necessarily analytics or being a nerd it's just the basic facts unless you have somebody like Chris Paul you know Stephen Curry people who are efficient at mid-range jumpers, then the analytics will tell you Steph Curry and Chris Paul are good at mid-range shooting. But the analytics will tell you mid-rangers aren't as efficient because there aren't many players like Stephen Curry or Chris Paul. Name whoever, whatever other mid-range artist you want to name. Those guys aren't around. There aren't too many of those guys. So you got to move your philosophy in a different way where you're more likely to be efficient. And weirdly enough, Simmons kind of fits that philosophy for Maury. Rim generates open threes. Embiid is always amongst the league leaders in free throws and free throw attempts. Simmons, before the shutdown, the initial suspension of the season, was getting to the free throw line at a career high rate since the new year had started. So I can't imagine Maury is going to trade either one of those players. Needless to say, as much as I think Sixers ownership is terrible, it is kind it is kind of Sixers that they kind of stumbled by accident into this just because the Clippers had an epic collapse and the Rockets in their own kind of way had a meltdown as well, but 
you could kind of tell since Tillman Fertitta took over a few years ago that Maury was kind of like, uh, what's my future going to be here? The writing was kind of on the wall. He said he was going to take a break after he left the Rockets, but somehow he's coming to the Sixers. That should tell you everything you need to know about Tillman Fertitta to make a guy like Daryl Morey, who loves Houston and loves James Harden, leave. So this is a this has been a great offseason for the Sixers. I know a few years ago when we actually had cap space and assets, Sixers ownership was talking about star hunting, puffing out their chest. They were ready to take the next step. And then the star hunting led to Tobias Harris and Al Horford. Well, maybe the star hunting applied in this way, I guess, because they've hired top-notch front office executives. They hired, obviously, Daryl Morey. And... At least it'll give Elton Brand an opportunity to grow because it didn't really sound like Elton Brand had the power to make decisions in his first few years. He indicated that in his exit interview media availability after they got swept by the Celtics uh, back in September. And then you have Doc Rivers, who is one of the best coaches in the NBA, probably the coach that you need if you're looking for qualifiers of needing to reach Simmons and Embiid to get them to step up more. And then Doc Rivers puts together a really good coaching staff. You got Dave Yeager, Sam Cassell, Dan Burke. Doc and Doc is probably going to bring a few more of his guys in. It was a good. It was a home run off season for the Sixers, even if the order of operations was a little bit weird. This team is still. This team is still in a bind in terms of contracts, roster construction, and just limited flexibility to be able to do anything. They do get their first round pick, their own first round picks back starting next year, even though they have a first round pick this year, thank God, because of the OKC top 20 protected pick, which honestly, I still can't believe we got that pick. I thought for sure it was going to turn into two second round uh, picks next year. But uh, thank you, CP3, I guess, for uh, still being a great player and carrying the Thunder to almost a damn near 50-win season or 50-win pace at least. But it will be interesting to see because the Sixers, like I said, are limited uh, flexibility-wise. But if anybody can get out of a bind or try to make the most out of a bind, it's Daryl Morey. And it was a home run hire for the Sixers. I thought it was dead in the water about a month ago. Once they uh, hired Peter Dinwiddie and Prosper Carnangua, you kind of thought, okay, so that, I guess that means Daryl Morey's not going to be in the picture anymore, which made me sad because the Sixers were connected to Morey going all the way back two years ago after Burnergate happened. They actually tried to hire Daryl Morey away from Houston. Um, so the connection's been there for a bit. But you kind of figure they'd be they were out of the picture after the initial hires, and then boom, here we are. And honestly, this is the most optimistic Sixer fans have felt since Game Four of the Eastern Conference Semifinals in the 2019 playoffs, when the Sixers or sorry, yeah, Game Four because Game Three, Joel Embiid had the windmill dunk, and the Sixers killed the Raptors by 30,000 points. But Game Four was like, okay, if we go up 3-1, we have a good chance to close the series out. And then Kawhi was Kawhi. 
it, Kawhi was insane that entire playoff run, and he killed the Sixers, and he killed the Sixers in Game Four in what was a close game. At that point, that was the most optimistic Sixer fans were. All last year, it was misery, misery. Even when they had a dominant home record, some games they just were flat and the fans had to boo them and scare the shit out of them, basically, to, into winning games. And he, Ben Simmons even said it after one of the games. He's like, we, we're scared to lose in front of the fans. So it was a frustrating season all around last year. And then the playoffs just left a bitter taste in everybody's mouth. Kyle Newbeck, a Philly voice, wrote a very... At the time, it was a very reasonable take to have, but the title of the, the headline of that article was The Sixers Are Screwed. And now look where we are. And for the first time in a while, we actually have hope. And I think part of why this roster failed last year, and you know, looking back on my thoughts on it, and also listening and remembering past podcasts that I listened to that were talking about you know, the season, the offseason the Sixers had last year, I think part of the reason people thought this roster would succeed is because they expected Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons to quote-unquote take the next leap. And for Joel Embiid, that meant get being in the MVP conversation, like have a legit shot, not just be in the conversation like he was last year where he was a fringe MVP candidate. But this was the year he was supposed to be in the thick of the conversation. And then Ben Simmons was supposed to take a leap, and he did take a leap. It just wasn't in the ways people thought he would take a leap, and it wasn't tangible for people to see. And also, he did it, and he improved in different ways you didn't expect. Like, I didn't expect him to be an all-NBA-level defender first team this year. Um I wanted him to be better at finish, finishing with his left hand, which he did get better at. He did also start getting to the free throw line more as the new year was coming. But still, there's that whole thing with him just refusing to shoot jumpers. And then despite Brett Brown pleading with Ben to shoot threes, he still wouldn't do it. And something tells me that's not going to fly with Doc. And I think if there is one coach that could hold these guys accountable... And I think that is one thing, that is one criticism that I did have of Brett Brown, is that, not that there's anything wrong with being a nice guy or anything, he just didn't have that abrasive or confrontational personality. He didn't have a dash of that. I wish he had more of a dash of that. I'm not saying go overboard, but that that is one thing I like with this doc hire, is that he has cachet, he's coached Hall of Famers, he's not afraid to go at people. Even though I do have questions about him as a coach, I think he's a damn good coach. Uh, I think he's put together a great coaching staff. And for the first time in a while, we have hope. Now for the first orders of business for Maury, he needs to get a ball handler. He needs to find shooters off the scrap heap uh, like he was doing during his time in Houston. Basically, I think the Sixers' first moves before like a big Chris Paul trade or something, before I even talk about getting rid of Al Horford and Tobias Harris's contracts, which I think is still going to be hard, the Sixers need to work the margins. And there's not a better margin worker, I guess, in the NBA than Daryl Morey. He kind, of he kind of was the architect of that. As far as trading one of Al Horford or Tobias Harris, I'm torn because I don't think there's any way we're going to get rid of both of them 
One of them's going to go. I imagine it'll be Al Horford. I kind of do think Al Horford has a case to stay in Philadelphia over Tobias Harris. Because, yes, it sucks that Al Horford is going to make 60-some-odd million dollars over the next three years of his contract, the last year of which is partially guaranteed. But we do have a backup center now. And that was the problem. All Sixer fans know. All NBA fans who love basketball know. We all know what happened in the 2019 playoffs. Whenever Joel Embiid was off the court, the Sixers allowed 500 million points in the minutes that he sat. In Game 7, Embiid literally sat out for four minutes. Four minutes of Greg Monroe was like a minus 12 or something like that. I have to look at the box score again. But my point is... Al Horford has a case to be here. I still think there is a good player in there somewhere, not the Al Horford of Boston or Atlanta, let alone Atlanta, but I do think the roster construction also affected Al Horford. As far as Tobias Harris goes, good metronome scorer, you know, he's going to get his 20 points, doesn't have a lot of wiggle with his dribble. He is a straight line driver and he likes to take a lot of mid-range shots and for some reason his three-point shooting that we saw in parts of Detroit, and I say parts because he got traded to the Clippers, and with the Clippers where he was a 40-plus percent three-point shooter, that went down significantly. And that was the one thing that was like, that was the one thing we thought would be a saving grace in the trade. Like, oh, okay, well, he's still a good three-point shooter. And not really. And he doesn't really attempt many anymore, and not as much as he used to. He's an average three-point shooter, and doesn't shoot it enough and takes a bunch of crappy mid-range jumpers and has a bunch of post-ups, which he should not be operating in the same spaces as our two best players operate. So I actually think Tobias Harris, if it was me, I would trade Tobias Harris as much as I have dogged Al Horford and criticized him for his play this year. I do think there are lineups where him and Simmons, they're like a plus seven because Al Horford is the perfect guy to put next to Simmons uh, in terms of, you know, a backup five, somebody who could shoot and pass a little bit. Um, Tobias Harris, a good score, could give you some versatility, but I don't know how much versatility considering he is too slow to guard small forwards. And while he can hold his own weight-wise with some fours. He is still not a good... He's just too slow-footed. He's not a good passer, not a good decision-maker, and he just takes bad shots. And the one thing he would that was appealing to him, that was really appealing for him, uh, the three-point shooting, has been non-existent or not the same since he joined the Sixers. So it'll be interesting to see where Daryl Morey goes with this. But... Needless to say, while there are always questions and concerns with different moves and moves all the time, this is no doubt a slam dunk hire, and this was a home run of, of an offseason for the 76ers. Honestly, for the first time since 2017, 2018, and even then, the 2017 free agency, those are one-year deals. They weren't really things that moved the needle, although... J.J. Redick and Joella B. Dribble handoffs and them gaining chemistry together and giving us credence as a playoff team was important. It wasn't a needle-moving move. It was a stopgap move, which was my whole problem with the Colangelo era. Burning assets and stopgap moves 
hoping that you'll be able to recruit a big free agent when you have no cachet with the star free agents at that time. Uh, I had no, I, there was no way LeBron was coming during that time when he was a free, when he was a, after when he was a free agent in uh, 2018, there was no way we were going to get Paul George or Kawhi, the Markel Fultz thing, a trade that I liked and I would still do if we went back in time, not knowing anything, if we went back in time, back to that same day, I would still agree with that trade because I thought Markel Fultz was for sure going to be an all-star guard. I would do that again. That set us back, obviously, a lot, too. And the crazy thing is the Sixers still have two-star players that when they're together, they, and as Doc Rivers always pointed out when he first got hired by the Sixers, they've won like 63% of their games when they've played together. And yet people want to talk about breaking up this team. If I hear one more Bill Simmons stupid fake trade request, I'm just going to go ballistic. Like, Guys, this isn't that hard. Simmons and Embiid can work together. There are examples of it where they have worked together. Especially when you put the right roster around them. And especially, especially once they get some roster continuity. Think about the first three years of the Simmons and Embiid duo. Look at the rosters from those three seasons on Basketball Reference. Pull it up right now. And look at how many teammates Simmons and Embiid have had during their young careers. Instead of going the patient route, the Sixers went all in on winning now, which is admirable if they knew how to do it correctly. But the problem is Simmons and Embiid weren't ready at that time. And so the roster the roster kept turning over and turning over. And for young players who don't know what their team is going to look like, I can't imagine that's easy. So with Doc and Daryl Morey getting five-year deals, Hopefully, this is the first time in a long time that the franchise has had a stable vision. Well, as stable as ownership wants it to last. So Stan Van Gundy got hired by the New Orleans Pelicans. I just wanted to talk about that a little bit because I was one who was bullish on the Pelicans last summer. Did a video on the Sly Hooper YouTube channel because people were killing the Pelicans for trading Anthony Davis. Rightfully so. Anthony Davis is a Tier 1 franchise player. And... But the haul they got back for him, on top of lucking out and getting the number one pick, Zion Williamson, was just, there's no better starting point to blow it up and start rebuilding after you trade a megastar player. And the Pelicans have put together a nice team. They had a chance to get it to the playoffs, but they were just god-awful in the bubble. And Zion looked out of shape, and... Lonzo was terrible. The Pelicans gave up a million points a game. But now Stan Van Gundy comes in. And, you know, he has NBA credibility. He's a forward-thinking coach, an older coach. Uh, you know, he definitely coached in, in all the different eras. But he is an open-minded guy, um, an open-minded basketball mind. And he was innovative with his teams in Orlando didn't work out in Detroit although you know there are there are probably other factors within that organization as to why it didn't work contracts contracts to bad players bad drafts all that he was the president of basketball operations which being a coach also that's tough to do and not good 
But I actually kind of like this hire for the Pelicans. David Griffin has his guy now. You know, he took over last year. And, you know, offensively, the Pelicans are going to be fine. It's going to be the defensive end of the floor. And I know Stan Van Gundy, when he was doing TNT broadcasts with Pelicans games, he was having an aneurysm every time it was a layup line. And so I'm sure he's going to figure out ways. I don't think the Pelicans are going to be a top-flight defensive team. They're still really young. They're going to be a fringe playoff team. But Stan Van Gundy can make some tweaks and adjustments to not utilize the player's experience because they're all young, but utilize their gifts, their athleticism. Lonzo Ball and Drew Holiday should be one of the best defensive backcourts in the NBA. Zion Williamson... While he looked lost defensively a lot, still comes up with highlight blocks. You know, he can still kind of, he protects the rim. You can utilize that. You could utilize Derek Favors. Brandon Ingram should at least be solid with his length and his athleticism. But understandably, he took a big scoring leap and a leap as a playmaker. So, you know, maybe the energy is gone on the defensive side of the ball a little bit. But the display the Pelicans put on in the bubble, I can't imagine that wasn't a, one of the reasons why Gentry was ultimately let go. But I like this hire for the Pelicans. I think they are deep with talent. They have the right amount of veterans. Love Josh Hart. Obviously, I like J.J. Redick, uh, even though it was kind of a mercenary thing in Philadelphia where he just took the money. You know, wifely so. Get the bag, JJ. You also are a good, really good podcaster, so I did miss that as well. I'm not the rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast where, you know, Spike just shits on JJ all the time. Uh, I actually liked JJ Redick. Jackson Hayes, I think, is a really good young raw center that has a pathway as a player, as like a Tyson Chandler, Clint Capella, run the floor, lob dunks. I actually think his defensive upside is kind of insane, given how mobile he is and how high he can get up. The Pelicans have a good future. I still think that. And, you know, the big question for me always is going to be Zion and his health, because he's already had knee issues. He had knee surgery before the season started. He's been load managed, especially in the bubble. And you just wonder, somebody who's built like that, like, how, is their, how are their legs going to hold up? And especially if you just look at how he walks normally, his gait, it's kind of, it's scary. And it's scary because we want to see Zion have a healthy career because Zion is incredible. He's a good passer. He is already one of the more ferocious dunkers I've ever seen. He's 6'7", but scores at the rim with the efficiency of Shaq, at least during his time, at least during the games that he played this year. He put up Shaq efficiency, but he's a force at the rim already. He's already averaged 20 points a game before the bubble. He's incredible. You just wonder what his health is going to be like. But Stan Van Gundy is a good hire for the Pelicans, and honestly kind of the coach they needed to transition into the next phase of the era who knows how long this hire will be will he finish the length of his contract I don't know but the Pelicans made a smart hire and Dave Griffin continues to do great work with the Pelicans and it'll be interesting to see what it looks like next season which by the way 
could be starting on December 22nd, which is kind of insane to me. It just makes more sense to start the season on Martin Luther King Day. I know they could probably, they're going to lose hundreds of millions of dollars and lost revenue if they started around that time. But I mean, some teams are going to have like nine months off. The top four teams who, the conference finalists, Boston, Miami, Los Angeles, and the, or the Lakers and the Nuggets. They're going to be they're going to have a 2 month less than a 2 month turnaround. I imagine LeBron James will have something to say about that. <laughs> but Michelle Roberts, the NBA Players Association's executive director, told Chom Sarania of the Athletic that the players are not looking to rush into any decision and they're going to take in all the information aka there's no fucking way we're going to start the season on December 2nd. And I imagine we'll see what the next week has in store for us in terms of a decision. But the NBA draft is starting soon. Free agency is starting soon. Teams are allegedly trying to already get a jump on free agency because some players may have may not have already agreed with deals with some teams. So now the NBA now NBA teams are asking you know, league executives, when free agency is starting, clarity on it, because there's definitely some good old-fashioned tampering, maybe not tampering, going on. But it looks like, as far as this season revenue-wise, it doesn't, it sounds like it's going to be another loss. They're trying to keep the cap stable. They're trying to keep it at 109. So, it's just... This COVID pandemic threw everything out of whack for everybody, especially the NBA. And I really don't think they should be starting on December 22nd. I think that's ridiculous. And I don't want to hear from old school boomers like Stephen A. Smith anymore who just see that as a sign of weakness or being soft or, you know, get your butt out on get your butt out on the court and play type stuff. It's like, bro, these guys just sprinted to the finish line to finish this season so they can have a damn champion for y'all. And you're basically saying that unless it's LeBron James, you don't want to hear it from any other players. Well, role players play a big role too. They have rigors just like everybody else does during the season. It's a, it's wear and tear. It's the same stuff. They might not have as much of a workload as stars, obviously, but I would think all players would appreciate the rest and recovery when the season just ended literally two weeks ago. And yet we're going to start the season again soon. And I know it could be a truncated season and stuff, but they want to finish this season before the Olympics start, which I don't even know if that, I don't, honestly, I question how many players will, you know, be a part of the Olympic team, especially pending the results of this election, which I am not looking forward to at all. And with that, this is a good spot to leave off. Overall, though, for Sixer fans like myself and for people who are just endlessly endlessly fascinated with this team because of the weird shit that they do all the time, it's a good day. 
It's a good day for Sixer fans. They feel optimistic. For people who want to watch what the hell happens with this team going forward, hey, the show continues, I guess. So with that, thanks for listening to another episode of the Sly Hooper Podcast. Stay tuned for more episodes coming down the pipe soon. And 